On this episode of Quantum Week, March 29th through April 4th, 1987. Welcome to Quantum Week. I'm Matt. I'm Chris. Quantum Week is a show in which Chris and I leap into a random week of a random year and we talk about movies and music and headlines and stories. We are in March of 1987 talking about Hoosiers and Don't Dream It's Over with special guest Kirk Minahan. Thanks for coming, Kirk. God, hey, guys. I sound, I have my mics. I have a mic on tonight. Last night I was doing trivia for my other, <clears throat> just in case the people don't know, I host a podcast called The Kirk Minahan Show. That's, Where can uh, they find that? What's up? Where can they find that? They could find that on, I think, actually, I don't know the answer to that, <laughs> on any of your uh, whatever. I don't know. It's but uh, I didn't have a mic on last night. It sounded terrible. But I'm okay now? Yeah, you sound fine. But you can hear us. Okay. Are you coming through? Uh, totally fine. Right, totally good. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, no, yeah, no. Happy to be back on. Uh, our first returning on guest. Me. Is that right? Yeah. It's our, fir- our first Patreon guest, too. Our first uh, one. Yeah, oh, right. yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Patreon.com slash quantum underscore week. Thank you. Wow. Look at that. Huh? <laughs> is that what it is or no? Yeah, that's exactly right. Oh. Yeah. It's, I always get mixed up between the underscore and the dash. Some things are, uh, right. some accept some, some don't. So there we are. Mm. But yes, it's the underscore. Very good. We're talking Hoosiers today. And uh, yeah, and don't dream it's over. Right. Want to get right into get Hoosiers. Right into Hoosiers. So you, you picked this. Well, yeah, it was, it was an exhaustive process. We started with the untouchables, but um, I love the untouchables, but you know, I, I feel like I've talked about it a lot on my other show. So um, Hoosiers, I haven't spent as much time on. We were talking about 87 we were focused on. Um, actually, you, get, you let me pick anything, and I had about yeah. 5,000 different things in mind. But I thought this would be a fun one. And I was telling you, Matt, I think, uh, that I spend uh, – uh, I had a caller on the show mentioned that I've been thinking a lot about Gene Hackman lately. And I thought, that's a weird phrase. And then I thought, you know what? I've been thinking about Gene Hackman a lot lately. And so of the, of the Hackman movies, I think it's the – it's obviously not his best perf- – we'll get into it. It's not his best yeah. performance, but it's funny, you know, the French Connection, the conversation, uh, Unforgiven, which is my favorite, um, Mississippi Burning. This is the one that he's best known for, like, commonly, I think, even more than, say, Superman, which hasn't quite made the leap to the next generation. Hoosiers lives. Hoosiers survives, and I think it's the Hackman movie that would win the family feud, you know, version of it. But the weird thing about Hoosiers is it didn't – it didn't really smoke the box office very, very much. You think of like, you know, Rocky or other kind of right. sports movies with a bunch of heart, even Rudy later. That- I call it the, uh, sorry, Matt, I call it like almost like the sports version of the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And that, you know, it's obviously Shawshank's the most popular movie of its generation, but Hoosiers, you know, I'm trying to think of a sports movie that made significantly more money. Like a league of their own made probably four times, but it doesn't have the, the resonance or the, or the lasting power that Hoosiers does. No, Hoosiers never finished above five in the box office. I went and checked. I, I, that was crazy. It, it, the highest they ever finished was five, fifth in a week. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, Kirk, you brought up like how this is like Gene Hackman's kind of maybe most known performance, or at least among a certain generation it might be. But it's also the rare movie that he had. He was the true lead. I mean, he was in the conversation as well, but that's such an older movie. I think a lot of people maybe haven't seen Mm -hmm. that. I think that's his best performance. But with this, this is a movie that has had a huge cable run, and it also is the one where he's the only name above the title. Uh, Mm. You know, he's such a great character actor. We don't think of him as the lead necessarily all the time. That's a good point, actually. I mean, Hersey's 
a bigger name, but then, but the whole supporting cast, the whole team, or who's a, a bigger bunch, name? No, 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 a bigger name than like like a nobody. Oh, Barbara Hershey. Yeah, I, I mean, guess. yeah. Well, oh, bigger, yeah, than, yeah, but well, bigger than the team. Dennis, the, Dennis Hopper. And Dennis Hopper. Oh, I yeah. guess yeah, Hopper too. Yeah, I mean, but he, the whole support, but the whole team are a bunch of the kids are a bunch of. Oh yeah, no-names. I mean they film this in Indiana, so yeah. I mean that's also why I mean. So I think I'm gonna just get right to it. I think this movie is very good, but not great. I have some major flaws with this film. Um, that I, I, I want to get into especially with Kirk because I know Kirk, you wrote this movie, right? Oh, I love it, but I, but I mean, I you know, I love movies that are also flawed, and I can definitely recognize the flaws, and they do exist. But yeah, you mentioned about Hackman. You know, it's funny that the two guys who I think of most similarly and who lived together with Dustin Hoffman in New York way way back is uh, Robert Duvall, and Duvall was similar to Hackman. I was actually thinking about this today. I was talking to my buddy Jim about this today, Chris. You know. Duvall was not a lead in a lot of movies either. You know, the lead about even like a movie like Great Santini, he's kind of supporting the Michael O'Keefe, the Godfather. He's obviously supporting. He's in the conversation. You know, he's in network. He's in these movies and has small roles. Hackman's the same way. Duvall could have easily played this role. And you know, uh, a year before the movie came out, it was Jack Nicholson was going to play uh, Norman Dale. He was attached. He was going to do it. He wound up having to do. I think it was Pritzi's Honor, which ran late. So uh, he told the uh, producer, if you can find somebody else, find him. Um, I suspect that's probably why Hopper was attached to it, maybe, too. Maybe it was going to be a sort of an easy rider thing. But uh, but they went to Hackman. And, and I mean, you know, I love Jack Nicholson, but Hackman is better in this role than Jack. He's just more believable in this role than Jack with him. And Jack would have brought the the Jack to the role. You totally know? agree. It's a much more grounded role. It's a more grounded performance. I also think it's why... As much as I say this movie has some flaws, the, obviously, this, no, no shit. The strength of this movie is Gene Hackman's performance. Yeah, He's incredible yeah, in this. Right. But it's a grounded, you know, Gene Hackman is, I mean, I think everyone is, you know, everyone here loves well, I love Gene, Gene Hackman. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, he, he, you know, he, he's... He's a better actor than Jack Nicholson. I don't know if he's a better leading man than Jack Nicholson, if that makes any sense, but he's a better actor. Oh, he's a way better actor. Yeah. I think he's a way better... But you're right. If you want what Jack brings, then he's gonna... He, he does that better than maybe... Yeah, because sort of Hackman's going to fit into the role a bit better than, than well, especially Nicholson's. this role where it's a, yeah. it's a quiet movie, right? Like Jack Nicholson would have fit in like a, I think like a sore thumb. I think it would have been weird. I mean, then again, we only know it with you know it's just an iconic role. But I, I mean, Jack Nicholson is just so such so larger than life. I don't know if he can play kind of an everyman. No. Yeah, I mean, especially at that point, you know, and uh, Hackman's my favorite actor. So you know, and he's made you know a, a tremendous amount of shitty movies like a phenomenal I mean, he, he, I mean he would do you know he would do a movie like mississippi burning and then the next year would do that comedy i forget what it was with dan Aykroyd and dom DeLuise. like he would just do you know and then you would do you know once he did unforgiven and then he was excellent in the firm and crimson tide but then you had you know until he retired a bunch of crap movies but then he would do uh heist or he would do tannenbaums and he would mix that in too so you know he would just take work. He just wanted to work. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if if the movie has somebody else in it, Nicholson, obviously, or, or Duvall and those guys, I'm sure it would have been fine. But the movie lives and dies with Hackman's performance. I mean, that's, to me, the story of the movie. I, I don't even like, in my opinion, like you could wipe out the entire Barbara Hershey character. Like, I oh, don't yeah. need it. It does yeah, nothing yeah. for me. It feels forced. It feels weird. Uh, you know, the movies about Hackman and, 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 and the kids. Yeah. And, 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 the, and Indiana. I mean, Indiana is obviously a huge The character. town of Hickory is a character in this Correct. film. Correct. Uh, Correct. But no, just to kind of, kind of put a cap on Hackman, or at least kind of his career, at least, this is a really interesting stretch. I went and did a quick thing before it jumped on. It's from 82 to 90. So before, like, you know, uh, after Superman 2 and then before Unforgiven, uh, he was not in a movie that made $40 million. 
Really? Yeah, Reds he was in, which made like 40.2. But like, yeah, yeah he was in this like really rough stretch. And he, and you may say, all right, well, then he was in a lot of, you know, big time critical hits. He kind of really wasn't. Like the only, he was only nominated for one Academy Award that entire 10 year stretch. This was a tough time for Hackman. And you wonder, it was like, all right, this guy who's kind of in his 50s, like when you're younger, you can do French Connection conversation. And then when you're older, you can play kind of that, older old timeier role like in you know Tenenbaums or sure. where you're kind of like an older guy uh, even like supporting role like in Crimson Tide like Kirk said like but I think when you're in your like 50s late 40s 50s it can be a tough spot some guys shine like Clooney does but other guys maybe have a harder time in that. Space. well it's going to be hard to find leading roles at that time you know and and if he keeps showing over and over that he can't carry a movie he can't carry a movie to the box office right. then those those roles are going to dry up yeah I don't, I don't think of him as a movie star you know, I, no. just think it a, I think it was a great actor and, and it's, you know, and you're right about that stretch, but he had a lot of, you know, in the late seventies, uh, you know, he was away. Beatty had to convince him. Remember they were, of course, worked together uh, in Bonnie and Clyde. I think in Lilith first, that was Hackman's screen debut and, and nominated for, uh, you know, Academy Award in that picture for Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of went away again. In the late seventies came back, like you said, but then even post like Mississippi burning in between Mississippi burning, and unforgiven, not much. It's rough. You know, so it's, you know, he has, he's, you know, but yeah, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's to me also a movie that defines, you know, like if I'm still at the point in my life, I've probably seen Hoosiers, you know, you always overshoot this number. I've probably seen parts of Hoosiers a thousand times in my life, like literally 1000 times in my life. And if it was on right now, tonight, I, you know, I would watch it. So I will get some of the flaws of this film. You brought up the first one, which is probably the most glaring, which is the Barbara Hershey character. Terrible. I mean, Off. it is, it's, she is so, I mean, the town of Hickory you hate, you're supposed to hate it. They're yeah. villain, I get it. Right, right. But like Barbara Hershey is so, and she's not supposed to be. Like that, the character is not supposed to be unlikable the entire film, but she manages, that character's written in a way and she's performed in a way that you, she's, Barbara Hershey's a good actress. She's very good in Black yep. Swan. She's terrible. Here. She's not good. There's no charisma. I, but I do blame the writing more. I mean, there gets to a point where she talks about how the town values privacy. No, it doesn't. They're all up in his grill. Like they're in his they're gym. In everybody's business. Exactly. That's, that's not what happens. That's terrible writing. I blame that more than her because I've seen her in enough good things where she's Black Swan is a perfect example. She's she's great in that film. So Angelo Pizzo, I just had to go look it up to remind myself, wrote this. He's the same guy that wrote Rudy. Yeah. And just like David Ansborough, uh, Anspaw is yeah. the uh, same director as Rudy as well. You know, the, the, these guys are not great filmmakers. Like, they're college buddies, and they they do, you know, this movie is by far their best achievement. I don't, do you like Rudy, Kirk? I mean, I like it okay, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't do much for me. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, like I'm in the same boat. I think I also think Rudy's like this really deranged person. It's just, it's like a, it's like watching a stalker. It's really fucked up. But like this movie uh, is their best accomplishment. But then there's some huge mistakes. So like so I don't know. Depending on Pizzo, depending on the director, depending on Barbara Hershey. Well, I, I don't. My my sorry, Matt. The thing I always thought about her character was you know she was sort of Jimmy's surrogate in a way. Okay. Now clearly, like Jimmy Chitwood is you know this unbelievable basketball player and she's here to help him out make his life better and yet the one thing she doesn't want him to do is play basketball <laughs> right. he wants to do, he's great at it there's no damage to it it's going to help his life Hackman comes strolling in uh and and right away like from first right away to her he's like jesus you're a fucking wet blanket like she's she's sitting there like oh you know like this every time he sees her, every time you see her in the movie you're like even the, even like when when they you know have that scene where they kiss he's like i've wanted to do that since i first oh, saw you oh like, no no, you don't. No, you yeah. didn't. <laughs> it's a nice line, and Hackman obviously delivers it great. 
Um, it's funny. I actually read an interview with Barbara Hershey once where she said it's the only that moment where he said to her acting with her is the only time in her life she forgot she was acting. And Tom Cruise said that, too, about Hackman. Is he when so they were real? Kissing? True. He's so he has such a real presence. But like, you know, the, the romance feels so jammed in, feels so forced. You don't care. Like it's it's just it's her character is so odd in the movie and just completely stands out. No, and, and there's no connection with them and they, and they, and it's repellent. You watch the kiss and you're like repelled. I turned away. I'm like, this is, this does, does not, I don't need this. It's so I weird mean. because Anne's part of the director and Hackman famously fought like the entire right. time. Like they hated, like Hackman was like a complete dick, uh, to answer the entire shoot, like from day, literally from day one. Yeah. But Hershey was team Hackman. So she, they, like, she was on his side in this whole thing. You think they would have been some charisma, some like, you know, because they were kind of joining forces against this director they didn't like. But it, it, they feel like it, the entire time they're on screen, it feels like they hate each other. But in other is ways, it, is it, is it, oh, is sorry, it a casting ahead. question? Is it like, you know, I mean, the character stinks. But yeah. if you have a, you know, a lighter, like Barbara Hersey, who I think is a good actress, like, you know, obviously I've seen her a bunch of stuff. She's good in it. But she has sort of a tough presence, right? Like sort of a hardened presence. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's somebody from that era, a contemporary, who might be a little lighter, who you might say, oh, but but even then the character still just sucks. I mean, who would you have? Like, you know, you think like around that age, like, you know, Kathleen Turner, but she wouldn't have fit in Hickory. It no, would have been no, bizarre. No, no, right. Yeah, there's something to that, too. You need to have almost like this. It's a strange, you know, you think maybe like later on, maybe someone like Andy McDowell, I mean, not that she's any great actress, but she would have been too young or she's still a model at this time. So it's it's hard to find, like in the 80s, it was all about like blonde bimbos, I feel like for the most part. So to have someone play this like marm school teacher, it's like, "Ah, that's kind of a hard fit. Yeah. 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 But in other ways, I think the director's, he, Anspot does a, like a good job. Like he makes some good decisions. I know there's continuity issues, all that stuff, but like he, he makes a decision to not show the heart attack um, who the principal doesn't like, you don't actually see that you see him start to suffer, but you, you don't need to see that there's, there's other, I think he does a good job not showing some stuff that you don't need to. You also see um, like Hopper start to crack his character, start to crack when he's left alone to, um, you know, to coach the, the game that first time, but you don't actually see him totally break. The next scene you see is Gene Hackman dunking him in water. So you like, I think there's a lot of unseen stuff that he does a good job with. There's a wild, like, if you, there's a Hoosiers blog, I should have sent it to you guys. Oh. It has the original script, like the idea that the, the it's, it's actually, I would say significantly different. It's funny. The, the high school principal, I think is played by Sheb Woolley, maybe. Is yep. that right? That's correct. Um, it was a sick, it was an old singer too. Yeah. Purple he, people uh, eater. He, um, <laughs> he wrote, he, that's his song. <laughs> is it it's true? Yeah, I real. believe you. I believe you. He it's also, he's um, the voice of the Wilhelm scream. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like that's right. him. That's right. That's right. Huh. Um, like a like a like he has a horse accident, breaks his leg. He's in a body cast. There's like weird stuff going on, and, and it explains some of the the continuity issues with the players in the movie too. But yeah, I think yeah, and I think the other thing he does do well, and I have no idea if it's real or not, but he does a nice job of capturing what you think Hickory would look like and feel like, and how important it was. And you know, I mean, look, is it a, is it a masterpiece of of a film? Of course not, but it's like a great piece of sports film entertainment for for whatever it is hour 52 hours so i have i don't know i don't know if this is me getting older or just 
my taste changing, but I have a hard, I just zone out during some of the basketball sequences. Like, cause you just know, cause every game's going to come down to the last second. I know that's actually what happened with this team. They actually played like three close games in a row. So I understand right. that, but it's just like, I, like I don't need to watch five minutes beforehand of them, like just shooting random baskets. And it's just, it's just I just get bored. Like, I, I don't know. If that's me. Do you, did you find exciting man? Or were you at the edge of your seat screaming? Uh, no, I felt like it was a lot. There, there was a lot of it. Like we saw a lot, lot of, of basketball games, but then I mean that's what the whole thing's about. It's like it's this underdog. That, well, it's about redemption in this town and redemption. Yeah. yeah, it's not about the basketball. Well, I mean, what what else would you have gotten? Like more of his backstory, maybe. I mean, they de- they definitely left that out as well. You you know that he hit a kid, but you don't actually know any of the scenarios with which he did that. Like what what else could you put in here? the story of this basketball team i i would take honestly man i'd take fucking 15 minutes gene hackman just walk around hickory just interacting with people like that's my favorite part of the movie like him yeah. like not wanting to get a haircut because you know they fuck it up <laughs> right. like him i just like i take gene hackman walk into a fucking supermarket and buy bread like yeah. i did like anything like i just that the relationship with jack gene hackman in the town is so much more interesting to me than watching you know these actors pretend to shoot but layups. him with the kids too is good too and you also see growth of character in the basketball games with the hopper character and and true. you know and how he uh, how he grows with it with the town as well maybe more hopper yeah. character i guess yeah i think the movie gets a huge boost with hopper like that's the other thing i mean there's so much like hopper history too in that character you feel like hopper's playing hopper to some extent like does it make sense that dennis hopper yeah i, I don't you know, you, you think of the casting initially, you think this isn't going to fit, but somehow, somehow it does work. And I do think if you ask me what I would want more of, I would actually want more Hackman Hopper scenes because I think they actually have they have good chemistry. You know, it, it works like that scene where Hackman goes to Hopper for the first time. Yeah, it's great. He's like, you know, and you got to stay sober. Absolutely no drinking. You know, I get a whiff of out. Of course, like everything else in the Normandale rule, once Hopper actually violated that like 10 times and Hackman kept bringing it back. <laughs> yes. You know, the reality is that Normandale was actually kind of a shitty basketball coach, but that's a, that's a whole different concept. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, like, you know, Hopper is like a, a genius, I think, piece of casting. Like Hackman, Hopper, great. Like if you go Duvall instead of Hackman, I can buy that. I don't know who else I'm getting other than Dennis Hopper in that role at that point. Cause remember Hopper, you talk about somebody who's kind of drifting through. That was, I think before uh, uh, the Lynch stuff. Yeah. The blue so velvet. Same year. Or was it blue velvet? He yeah. Did? Same yeah. Year, right? Say, say 86. Yeah. yeah. Same year. Hmm. Right. So he was kind of in the, but before movie. that it was nothing. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I don't even know. I don't even know who else you would put in that. I mean, you know, I, I have no idea at that time. There's oddly, there's no like comp, for Hopper, his career is so odd. Would you go with someone like a? Uh, he's probably too old, right? Like I was thinking, like a, like Jack Lemon or Walter Matthau. But no way that guy would have a teenage kid. Then you know what I mean? Well, no. Lemon's so warm. Like you wouldn't expect Lemon to go off. Like Hopper, you could see him go off anytime. Hopper, Hopper's great. I I think Dennis Hopper had a really under underachieving career he should like i obviously i we, the drugs i get all i understand why uh but like you know you look at him and some of the stuff like he elevates like true romance like some of the stuff that he can do it's like this guy's i don't like easy riding it's a terrible movie but some I of the totally stuff that he does it. It, like you like this guy's a really good actor take away all the drug bullshit all the 60s stuff this guy's really talented and he didn't do enough i was always more interested in the hopper in hoosiers and you're right the hopper in true romance it seems like the anti-hopper is like a warm i mean he had a weird relationship with Slayer, but like he's kind of a warm, caring person as opposed to the Hopper who I don't like in like Apocalypse Now, where it's like quirky and like oof, like the, the drugged out sort of, you know, thing. Um, yeah, his career is, is, is that the only Oscar nomination he got as an actor? Uh, did he get one before in this? 
It's definitely the last last one he would have gotten. I don't know if he got one right. before. Was I can't he, remember. Was he nominated for Easy? He wasn't nominated for Easy Ride. That's think. what I'm trying to think, was if he was or not. He directed some movies right after this, too. Like, he didn't act for a while after this. He, then he does Waterworld. He did, he did Super Mario Brothers. Oh, he just That's right, too. Fucking worse. <laughs> <laughs> He's King True. Koopa. I don't know what he was doing. Money grab. He directed or... Colors, didn't he, or no? Yeah, that's what he did after mm-hmm. this. He directed Colors. Right. So, like, this guy's, like, really talented. And, like, I feel like we didn't get enough from him. But I don't know. I mean, what? Um, what? issue I have with, right. this, with this movie is obviously continuity stuff. I know, like, it's kind of laughed about now. But, like, it's, it's still a thing. Like, you, have, you, you make such a big deal about having six players in your team. And then miraculously you end up with a seventh. Sure. Like, all right, how the fuck did that happen? Right. And then, like, when they're playing basketball, the scoreboard's always wrong. Yeah. And it's just like, all right, this is a fucking lazy. I, I, stuff like that. I know, I know it's a small thing, but, like, eh, there's not that much going on here, guys. Like, you know, it's not like it's a Marvel movie. Where you have to get a million things right. Can someone exp- explain the tech to me, too? Is that something that would have happened? Was it because Hopper was on the floor? I didn't- well, that was, again, I filed out. I have a long list of reasons why Norman Dale was a, was a <laughs> shitty coach and a moron. <laughs> is so, so, you know, uh, Shooter comes back. He's all hammered. Yeah. Um, and he walks on the court. The referee blows the whistle. Hacker walks out there. Now, he could just be some run, random, stumbling, <laughs> bumbling fan. You put him back in your seat, and Hackman tells the referee, That's don't worry assistant. about it. He's an, he's an assistant coach. <laughs> and, and, the, and, the, and the referee, correctly so, is like, well, he shouldn't be on the court. Technical foul. You're costing your team points for no reason. There's, like, what is he bragging about this? Like, I don't even, I don't even understand why he would do that. Yeah, wouldn't you want to make him feel better by having just having him? You don't. You don't want him to be a part of the team. Like the ref's going to be pissed at you for doing that. Of course, that. Yeah. It's, it's it's it's. I mean, you got to keep in mind this is a guy. So the team. I, the other thing is, you don't really get a sense of what their record was before Jimmy shows up. You get the feeling they really hadn't won a game. I'm not really sure. They had some moments like when Shooter shows up for the first time. You know, he said we're really coming together. Jimmy wasn't there yet, so Jimmy comes in. That's another weakness of the movie. Is kind of like. The team sucks without Jimmy. They're great with Jimmy. So it's like not really about Gene Hackman. Yeah. So they go all the way through. They roll through the playoffs. They're, they're a school of 54 playing for the yes. Indiana State Championship. They drop the last play down a point, and this dummy is going to call a, a, a play and not give the ball to Jimmy. Unbelievable. The rest, the rest of the team is like, Coach? They were like uh, uh, that ESPN crew with um, uh, Maria Taylor. They're going to stage a walkout. They're sitting there like, what are you talking about? They're like, and Jimmy's like, I'll make it. And, and Gene Hackman's like, boy, I'm glad you said that. I, I make this shot. And he draws up this great play where they just give him the ball. That's in, it. In court. The other team doesn't double team him. They don't do anything. They only get the ball out of his hands. They stand there. He goes to the right, crosses one dribble to the left, shot, game. It's sort of like anticlimactic in a weird – like to me, the best part of the movie, the best moment of the movie from a basketball perspective – is when Hackman gets kicked out which on purpose, which is awesome. That's yes. a good one. And then Dennis Hopper wins. They run the picket fence, and, the, and his son says to him, you did good. That's the – that to me, like, I, I cry. Now. Like, that's a great moment. It's better than the last moment of the movie. It's, to me, the highlight of the movie. After that, in a weird way, the movie kind of – it gets into, like, him and, and Barbara Hershey again. Yeah. And, like, he said, seven basketball games. And it's still – you still like it. It's still good. The speech – the Hackman speech he gives – to the players at the end. And when the guy comes in and talks about David Goliath is awesome, but it just kind of takes a slow slide. Though I do love when Ollie hits the follow shots. That's, I think that's a pretty cool moment. That is a good one. Yeah. I like that one. So, and by the way, he was the best, he was the best player of any of the players when they played, like when they scrimmaged. Oh, Ollie, really? The real player was by far the most accomplished uh, of any of the players. Yeah. Uh, so we're supposed to believe that Gene Hackman, or Coach Dale, Dale. Wow, won uh, a national title in 1939. 
And yet no reporter knows this. No one asked him about this. I just find, and no, I, like no one know. I, I don't expect some local, local yokel and fucking hickory to know that this guy, I get it. You know, deck to student. Yeah. Or no, he won a, national, he won a championship. national championship. Like, yeah. I don't expect them to know that, but like, I expect the reporters covering this to know who he is. No one ever asked, like, why is your school so small? But no one's ever like, like you, you well, not. No, that Chris, like, you know, the part where he's at the barbershop shaking hands with everybody, and they're yeah. like, I don't know what the hell, you've been on the water for 10 years. He could have been like, you know, I won a national championship. <laughs> I know. Here coaching your team. You guys should have a parade for me here. Like, what? what's everyone upset about? Like, Cletus did a good job bringing me in here. It's bizarre. I, I, so I, I, and I have, I just, there's enough of those little things, and except for the Barbara Hershey thing, these really are little things, but there's enough of them. It's like, I don't know if I can say this is a great movie. I'm going to give it a B plus. I just, I just can't call this great. Well, I give it an A minus. It's because of, you know, Hackman just slaughtering this role. He's so good. And the heart, like the stuff with, you're, you're absolutely right, Kirk. The stuff with, uh, with Shooter and his kid is, is, is heart wrenching. And then even at the end when he visits him in the, in you know in the facility there it's just it's it's tear jerking to see all the redemption stuff is i love that scene too where hot where hopper's going crazy and the nurse is just looking down shaking her head that's it i don't i don't know why because it was a perfect time in like i don't know why it didn't hit when it came out i I don't it got good reviews people seem to like it it would have had because back then so much of it was word of mouth i mean you got you mean you would have a movie that would play for i know you guys talked about tootsie a couple of weeks ago, you know, that was number one for 12 weeks that ran in the theaters for seven, eight months. E.T. was in the theaters for a year. I don't know why, um, you know, it wasn't even like a, a modest hit. That, that, I wonder that if it's it always been strange when it was released. It was released along with a bunch of Oscar stuff. And then, you know, Platoon, which we covered, we're covering on the Patreon when people hear this tomorrow. But that just kind of ran roughshod. And then you had Hannah and her sister. So I wonder if it just got caught up like in the. This happened to Shawshank. Well, Shawshank came out a little earlier, but like it just gets caught in like like Oscar wake, and then the big you know this got nominated for two Oscars, didn't win any, but then you have other movies that just kind of dominated the, the circuit, and maybe just got kind of lost in the shuffle. It's too bad because it was different than the other ones that were out right now. So you think it would have hit a a demo, you know? I know, especially a yeah. family demo. Any family could go see this movie. They're not going to go see. But, and by the way, it's an example of where Barbara Hershey is good. Is Hannah and her sisters very good? You know, she, gives a, she gives a good performance in that movie and it's a different, but yet it's a different performance. And actually in that movie, she's oddly vulnerable. And I don't know if you guys have seen it in a while. I have forever. forever. Oh, you never seen it? I've no? never seen I haven't seen a ton of it. Yeah. I saw like yeah. Manhattan. And I just got so grossed out. I'm like, I can't do yeah. this. But she plays like, a, a, of course, Max von Snedo plays like this old man and she's like his girlfriend, of course, but she's actually like, and Michael Caine falls in love with her. He winds up winning the Oscar that year. But, um, like she's sort of tender and vulnerable and it's, I hadn't thought of that till now. And you mentioned it, like she, that seems like so in contrast to who she plays in, in, in Hoosiers that it's just, it's weird. And I, I do have to say um, between, you mentioned Rudy again, um, you know, he played uh, a coach in Rudy. Um, he played Eddie Harris in major league. He played Conrad Hilton in Mad Men is um, uh, uh, the guy who plays Chelsea, Georgia right? Hoosiers. Was it John was Chelsea? John Chelsea? Is that his name? I don't know. I don't think so. I forget. But he um, uh, he plays George, you know, the coach who wants the uh, who wants the job. And it's it's great. I'm it's, sorry, it's Chelsea great Ross. Moment. Yeah, right. Right. That's correct. And it's a great moment when um when he comes in, when Hackman comes in. It's just a great Gene Hackman delivery of a line when he says your coaching days are over. <laughs> it's a great. He just nails it. And this guy's and this idea, this guy's idea of I played basketball as a kid. We always used to joke about his players. His idea of a practice as coach was 
20 minutes on, 10 minutes off, <laughs> like 20 minutes on. So you play basketball for 20 minutes, which is nothing. Then you would take a 10-minute break and then practice again for 20 minutes, which seemed which seemed strange to me. But, you know, like there's so many great, you know, I probably want to move on to the song, but there's so many great moments like when, you know, um, when he does break down with the team and like even like when when um, when uh, Ray, when 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 Ray wants to come in after he disobeys Norman Dale, Norman Dale's like, my team's on the floor. Like we I'm playing with four guys. I don't care. <laughs> yes. like he breaks. He does break them down like one by one. Now, of course, the flaw in that is like that's all wonderful and good. But until Jimmy shows up, like it's great. You're teaching these life lessons, but you guys suck. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like a weird I kind of wish that the team it had a moment before Jimmy got there. So you could say, this is a good team. Does that make sense? Yeah. We just need something to put us over the edge. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels like they're just complete. It's almost like Tatum O'Neal and Jackie Earl Haley showing up with the bad news bears. And then they just kind of start rolling, which I always thought was another sort of flaw. This is a problem with quantum week is that, you know, you you love these movies and all you do is, is bitch about that. That's it. Yeah. One thing I won't. Yeah. So one thing I did want to bring up was there is a, there was at least a bit of, I say scandal, whatever, uh, controversy. Spike Lee, uh, had some issues at the end of the movie where a lot of the players are black and, you know, Hickory beats them. I, I, I guess that's his problem is that the white players beat beat the black players. I I mean, I think it's just, I I mean, a, it's what happened. It's, it's what actually happened. If you know, I know this is very loosely based. I get it. But like, that's what happened. And, and B, like, I don't know if, you know, in, in, I didn't, I didn't see the movie rule book where one race is apparently, invincible in film that's that's it's just it seems like an odd complaint it also wasn't presented that like these people these kids in the finals were not presented as villains at all i mean oh, they were, no. this is this is this was a historical i mean again loosely based and i read an interview with the director who was like i don't know you know what you want me to say about that you know this is kind of how it happened i mean and it's a story that's 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 interesting but yeah i think i do think that uh you know I remember watching as a kid thinking, oh, geez, that's this team does look different than the other teams before. That's for sure. But like, honestly, like the game, the Ollie game where the the guy comes up to him and says, I didn't know they grew him so small on the farm. Like those kids are presented more as assholes than, than the kids in the finals. Absolutely. And that coach seems like really respectful. It's a black coach, but every time you see him, like him and Gene Hackman are shaking hands, he seems like a really classy guy. I know we never hear him speak, but like, but we know, like there's no sign of bad sportsmanship or they're like one of the nicest teams they play. I don't, it's such a bizarre thing. No, if anything, you you see that in other, with him and other teams, it's it's it's, not with this at all. Right. Very strange. I do. I do like to think that like, maybe, you know, he wins a title. I like to think that he leaves after like that year or another year and he never talks to Barbara Hershey again. Like, like, I don't need this in my life. There's no laughs here. Like, what are we doing? You know, we're growing old. Why, why are you still complaining about this? So Hickory is, I think one thing the movie gets right is it's such a horrible place and the people there are so, so abysmal. Um, But, you know, it reminded me of flash forward to Friday Night Lights, the TV show where the town really is the villain of that show. And I I, I like that show a lot. And I love how it kind of just destroys the people who live in it. And I do wonder if like Gene Hackman lived in that town long enough, would he also be eaten up by Hickory and just because Hickory is truly a horrible place. Right. And you're right earlier. I mean, everything you ever read about it was like Hackman was very nice to the kids. Like they always, when I read interviews of the players, they're like, he was great. He helped us out. But the director, the producers, everybody was, there's a, if you look it up, Dennis Hopper uh, gives an interview to AFI and he's sitting with Hackman one day on a bench or whatever. And Hackman's like, this is the biggest disaster we've ever been in our lives. (laughs) Hopper's like, I don't know, man. Like I, I, there's something about this that's working. And Hackman's like, 
It's like, it's all about these high school kids. Like, who's going to watch this movie? And it's now, I do, like I said, I, I guess when, you know, he's 91 now and, mm. and, you know, he'll be gone soon. When, when you know, the old bit is written, they'll say a two-time Oscar winner. But, you know, I think most people our age remember him best from, from Hoosiers. And that's okay. You know, that's okay. He's given probably 12 better performances. But if that's the movie you're best known for and that's the performance you're best known for, I would take that. Yeah, that's not bad. It's a good career. Should he have won the Oscar that year? Was he better than – I haven't seen Henry. Was he better than Kane? Well, he would have been lead actor. Right. Uh, Kane, was, Kane was supporting. Who won that? Um, I think Douglas won for uh, Wall Street that year. I could be wrong. Let me check because now, now I'm curious. Matt, uh, Vamp, Matt. Yeah, whatever. Douglas was good, but I don't think he's Hackman. In, but I don't in think this. Hackman – like I don't think that's an Oscar. I don't like Hackman's performances. Like I don't think Gene Hackman's doing anything that Gene Hackman – hasn't done somewhere else. You know, I actually think Douglas is better in Fatal Attraction, uh, which for, well, he was not nominated. I, I think that's a Douglas here. Listen, oh, we oh, just oh, saw... You know what? It came, out, it came out at the end of 86, though. Oh, you like, know what it was? We've we all got it wrong. It's Paul Newman in Color of Money. Oh, Duh. all right. Like, so... Because it actually came out... It didn't come out in 87, right? It came out It came out in 86, yeah. Right, it just, it had, had a little bit of a run because of the Oscars. Um, right. It knows it's nominations, but it's still buoyed enough to, to be up there. No, it was, it was the Paul Newman year. Which which what are the other nominees for best actor? You know, uh, yeah, it's, I have it in front of me. I, did, I would not remember this. Bob Hoskins, uh, Mona Lisa, who was the odds-on favorite going into right. the awards, and then Dexter Gordon in Round Midnight, William Hurt in Children of a Lesser God, and then James Woods in Salvador, the other I mean, Oliver you, Stone movie that year. You could have tossed him in one of those spots, but I, I mean, so. I don't think like I don't think that's really you know. In Newman, that was obviously a a lifetime achievement award at that point. There was no way he wasn't winning that one. No, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, it's kind of sad for Bob Hoskins, though, because that really, you know, if you look at he won the BAFTA, he won, I think he won the Golden Globes. He won a ton of awards leading up to that. And really the only award that Newman won that entire run was the Oscar. <laughs> so, right. But like you said, it was like, obviously it's, you know, it's sometimes the Oscars work that way. And Matt might know, but Matt might be better to talk about this than us. But I do think like another thing that resonates historically with Hoosiers is the score. Oh, absolutely. Like, I, mean, I mean, the music, whether, I mean, it. You know, it, was, it, it just it just fits. I mean, it, it's perfect. The crazy thing is, is it, it's an odd. I mean, you guys, yeah, it's an odd. It's an odd phrasing. It's an odd time signature. It's this march in in seven. It's very it's very odd for what that is, particularly when we're talking about something when we're seeing a a movie from the fifties. But it, it absolutely sticks out to me, and it's very good. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think, and I don't think Gene. Had, I don't think Norman Dale was particularly interested in teaching history to high school. No, <laughs> you never <laughs> see that. You see, you know, you, like one scene at the end. The, 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 oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's like some girl makes a face, like, "Oh, he's so wacky," and then they leave. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah. All yeah. All he gives that. All he does that reading at one point because he does the reading. Uh, you know, he reads his paper, or whatever, and Hackman's sitting there, and he's got his, you know. He's like, all right, get out of here. And that, of course, like you're having a light moment and then he turns and who's there but Barbara Hershey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just so you know, town hall tonight, like you're, you know, we're going to get rid of you. It's like, well, why, why are you telling me this? Like, why are you the bearer of this information? Like, what, Do you want to torture me? Right. And she's, then, I think, isn't in the beginning, isn't she the one that tell? like, it's almost like he forgets that he's also a teacher and not the coach. They're walking up the stairs and it isn't, and isn't she like, aren't you the coach? Yes. Aren't you also the history teacher? He's like, uh, I guess I think so. so. Shorter, if, yeah, if you say so. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good, it's kind of a dumb scene, but it is a good scene when, uh, when Jimmy comes in. And it's it, when he says, you know, coach, because they have a good, they have a really good scene together where Hacking gives him, I don't care if you play or not. Yeah. And he throws in the ball and Jimmy misses the shot yeah. for the first time. And then uh, he says, you know, coach goes, I go, coach stays. I, and, and there's great look on George's face where he's just like, oh, because, you know, it's, it's great. I, I like the George character. I like when George has a suit on. When Dennis Hopper gets the assistant coaching job, and like, and then George winds up jumping on board at the end. He's all excited. And by the way, so is Barbara Hershey. She's sitting there with the other girls, like 
asking them about if whether I was going to come back. You coming back? Busy. That's a good question. It's like, yeah, like, no way. Like, don't, you, don't you care about like Jimmy's future? Like what happened to Jimmy? Like you don't no. care about him anymore? Push like, aside. Like, now that she's getting laid, she cares nothing about Jimmy. Did Jimmy and Barbara Frigid. Hershey have, they, they, there's a scene where he sits down and he gives a speech. They have no scenes together. No. no. There's like no, like th- that has to be on the cutting room floor somewhere where like they're having dinner one night and, and, and Jimmy's like, you know, I kind of want to play basketball. And Barbara Hershey just yells at him. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be, right? This is just weird. And, and her mom is kind of an odd character too in the movie. I mean, she's fine, but it's just weird. She's a lot more, she has a lot more energy and fun well, than I would much rather her. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'd much rather her be the love interest than uh, Barbara sure, Hershey. Sure you do. <laughs> Nasty fuck. Um, is that, is that anything else on uh, Hoosiers? You want to get in? I don't think so. Besides Ray decking that guy. I love that too. When he wins Ray over and he decks that guy. So good. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. So that's happy. Good. Very exciting. Yeah. You're very excited about that. Yeah, aren't you? Uh, want to talk to you Taurus? Two tours, sponsor for a long time. Yes, our favorite sponsor. Uh, you can get everything from gummies to sugar. Matt likes the sugar. I like the gummies. In fact, uh, I know maybe some, you know, Kirk here, maybe we have some new listeners. If you hate Matt, and a lot of people do, buy gummies. Uh, Why? Because you're supporting me. If you, if you like me, you know, buy the gummies. If you, do, if you like Matt, buy the sugar. I mean, and we'll, we'll see what uh, two tours comes back with. What has more sales. You really think you're more liked than I am. I know I am. That's people, ridiculous. People fucking hate you. People hate you too. They really don't. You're so people condescending. Really, this whole fucking Twitter thread about how much people fucking hate you. Only it's a very small amount of people. It's not They true. need the gummies. They true. need to settle the fuck down. It's not true. They need the gummies. Uh, the great thing about two tours, go to two tours.com. They have, uh, you can get free shipping, 10% off promo code QW. They have tons of other products as well. If you haven't gone there in a while, I recommend checking it out. They've added... A, a ton of products just in the last six months, including the gummies. Uh, and obviously they have things like the salve and the droplets they've had for a long time, but they've added a bunch of stuff and also opened their retail location in Tennessee. So if you're down there, if you're a Tennessee uh, volunteer listener of uh, quantum week, you don't even need the QW code. You just go right on over there and get and go home. Oh, I hate him. If you hate Matt, <laughs> buy gummies. It's, 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 you can't lose. Don't dream it's over by Crowded House. I would say that this is a perfectly written song. Kirk, what's your take on it? Do you like the song, Kirk? Yeah, so I did a, you guys, a year or so ago, I think I did the top 100 songs of the 80s. I did yes. YouTube every day, yeah. uh, on Twitter every day. And I think I forgot this song. I, I, I don't remember if I had it on there, You forgot actually. a lot of stuff, actually. Yeah, it's one, what's that? You forgot a lot of stuff, actually. It was 100 spots, Matt. You forgot a lot of stuff. Like Purple Rain is in your top. Wasn't it in your top 10? That's ridiculous. Three. Oh, it's, such a, it's such an overrated song. It's the same chord progression over and over. Nothing happens with that song. Okay, well, Red Corvette well, is so much better. There's well, you more. win. You, 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 you outlive Prince. You won. Congratulations. <laughs> All right. You. you wrote Purple Rain and, and you're still alive. I am. But I mean, this is such a, this, the song, right? This song is like, you know, when I grew up, so I was super, super, super in the top 40 at this, yeah. this point, from like 82 to like 89. And at that point, you know, you sent me the list, Matt, I sent you one that I look at. And um, like pop music at this point was not in a great spot. I mean, you would get some songs in the charts that you were like, what? And this song came, I don't know, as a kid, I liked it. But as an adult, I like it even more. I mean, it's just, it's it there. And we'll talk more about Crowded House, I'm sure. Yeah. But this song has, you know, lyrics in it that just, like when you read the lyrics, they kind of knock you over. I mean, it's really well written. 
The thing is, and to, to your point with the lyrics, it's a combination of the lyrics making a lot of sense with the rhythm and the melody of the song. The melody is, is fantastic. We did um, that Joe Jackson song, Stepping Out, oh, a few weeks yeah. ago. I, and I, I have a so really annoying, soft, I have a soft spot in my heart for Stepping Out. It's a cool song. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just the case where his lyrics don't make any sense with the rhythm of the song. He's like, right. hey, babe, stepping out. Makes no sense whatsoever where you've got like a... a superior writer here in Neil Finn, like knocking the lyrics and melody right out of the park. Right. And I mean, there's a, you know, there's a sort of, I don't know, a kind of a Beatles vibe, the sort of the the, clear sort of influence, which you got from those guys at that point, because the kids who were whatever at that point, Finn was probably whatever he was. He's 29. Was that? He was 29 here. He was 29 when he wrote Yeah. He's older because of split ends. So he's a mature writer because he's got all that pop experience before. I mean, I see, uh, you know, I'm just looking at it here. Uh, 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 where is it? Only shadows ahead, barely clearing the roof. Get to know the feeling of liberation and release. I mean, you know, oh, did I lose you guys here? No, no. Just, uh, nope, no, we're here. Can you yeah. just, no, I just saw something popped up. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Like that, those are not, those are not lyrics that I, the, the 12 year old Kirk Minahan was hearing when Casey was counting them down generally <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in 87. It just had that great sort of laid back vibe to, I mean, they were, you know, they had two huge, popular singles and then just went away i mean they did from a from a from a from a from a public perspective but yeah this i think this is like i don't know if i did it over again it's probably one of the 30 best songs of the decade 25 30 best songs i'd say i'd say so it's not my favorite from it's my favorite on this album it's not my i like pineapple head is my favorite by them i think that's just a just a really cool interesting i don't love love something so strong like i like it's all right I like this better though. I, I like do too. Better. I think that that's like a good, that's like a B song. Like a, yeah, 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 yeah. Give, right. I give this song an A, although I have two major issues with it that aren't the song's fault that pop culture has ruined for me. What's that? So this song is uh, heavily featured uh, in a scene in the stand uh, miniseries. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. It's when Molly Ringwald and Corin Nemec are like kind of going to make out, uh, you know, the Harold Lauder and, uh, and um, Fran uh, Goldsmith characters. And it, it's just, kind of bizarre and weird and that whole miniseries is like it also ruined uh don't fear the reaper for me because it's just i've always hated that song i used to love that, song. that song and it's just so it's it, it, the, i just love that book so much it might be my favorite yeah, book the and then great. this the, the miniseries are terrible and then the other thing i think kirk will understand where we're coming from you won't matt but like the you because you won't don't put your hands you don't understand the fucking reference it's uh <laughs> it's hey, hey what he goes hey now all I can think about is Howard and you know, obviously Gary Shandling's show. But the whole end of the song is I keep oh, wanting really? to go, hey now, hey now. Really? The whole time it's all because all they say is oh, hey now, and I just can't get it out of my head. And it, I just, I feel like there was a bad remake of it. Am I wrong? Like a oh, there've been uh, several. I don't like a like a Liz Fair kind of. I think like Six Pence and None the Richer. Yes, that's exactly Would right. It? Yeah, yeah, Six Pence and None the Richer. Yes, it's a, oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It's just not like it's not necessary. There are songs you should not like. There's no reason to remake this song. You're not. You're, there's no way you're gonna you're, do it. Better. You're never gonna do it better. It's the the thing that I. It's it's every part of the song. It's the lyrics. It's the melody. It's all the harmonic um, compliments. But it's also the way it's recorded. This is one of my favorite recorded pieces of music. It's super lush. It has an amazing strat tone with like big verb and big delight. Like that iconic. Like, listen to the way that this thing uh, starts. Here's the intro. Like, great. It's just that's a killer tone. It's an amazing tone on a strat. And then you have through the 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 uh, the chorus. It's 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 you've got these low um, 
uh, vocal harmonies and the high vocal harmonies and they stack interestingly and they fall off in different points. This is some, this is a band who knew what they were doing. And I think you hit the nail on the head before when you equated them to the Beatles, it's very similar when you're, when you're listening, listeners of pop music fall on the spectrum of where, of wanting to, you know, have songs that challenge them to songs that are, that feel very saddled, uh, settled and home. And if you want music that that's challenging, then you, maybe you listen to prog rock. And if you listen, you know, if you want something that's really settled, then, then you listen to maybe very, you listen to like umbop. you listen to actually the, the top 40 that is now it's very homogenous, non-challenging right. music. And the, the brilliance that is crowded house is they can thread that needle just like the Beatles could. They do things where the like phrases, individual phrases, if you listen to them, they sound very settled and home. You can sing along to it, but then, but then the connection between the phrases aren't really there. A good example of that is um, world where you live. The chorus, the first half of the chorus is a different key than the second half of the chorus. So when you're in the first half, it sounds fine and normal and settled. And you're in the second one, it sounds fine and normal and settled. But the jump between is is a little unsettling and, and it makes you have to like um, reframe yourself. Here's the, uh, here, I'll play it for you. First part. Then they change key here. And both, both sound amazing on their own, but it just takes that little second of, of that transition to reframe yourself. And that's the brilliance of Crowded House where they can do that. They can make something sound so poppy, but, uh, but interesting in the jumps. If, if the Beatles write uh, Don't Dream It's Over in 65, right, is McCartney singing it? He is. He is. Right. Yeah, I would think, right? Yeah, yeah. like a McCartney song to it me is. than in... Than, than, than a Lennon song. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I find they're like, th- you know, they, I've seen them on, you know, look on YouTube songs, live shows they've done later. They still sound good. I know Eddie Vedder has said they're a huge influence. Like, I don't know why they didn't like, they have great songs. They have a great sound. They're sort of timeless. I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know why they didn't like nobody, nobody knows who crowded houses. Now they no, know no. Chris's point earlier. If you ask people, you play the song. I think most people think the title of the song is Hey Now. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what I don't know why band, some bands last. It's one of the great mysteries. We, but I don't know why some bands develop a catalog like you know Bon Jovi. Oh, you know, oh, has lasted know. much longer. And I mean, I understand their music is like you know vending machine music, but I don't know why these guys. You know, they, they should have made it. There's no reason why they didn't. We covered yeah, yeah. Tears for Fears uh, a couple yeah. weeks ago on the yeah, show. It's good, yeah. and they had a really like a Beatle sound to a lot of their songs too. I feel uh, yeah. Matt, Matt Grease. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, but like, I think, you know, even, and obviously they had a more extensive library than crowded house did, but even now, if you go to people, I mean, 35, 30 years old and ask them about tears of fears, they probably, maybe they, they probably know everybody was a rule, but like, I don't think they know like a ton more than that. And you might only know that because of Dennis Miller. And, and maybe even they wouldn't even know that if they're any younger than 35. Right. No, I think that's a great comp. It's like those two bands. Very. I don't know that they had that many more hits than. And it was they the had same thing. Hits, though. They, they had did have bigger hits. hits. Like yeah, Shout, I think Shout and uh, uh, Sowing the Seeds were both. Well, Sowing the Seeds, I think, was two, right? And Shout and uh, what you call it? Uh, Everybody wants to rule. I think they were both number one. Hits, I think right? you're right. Yeah, yeah. you're right. So, so I mean, they were they were bigger, but you're right. Like the, their their window was what Tears for Fears' window of popularity was like big popularity was. A few years, five to eighty nine or something. Yeah, and in Crowd House was this is it? Like they had this. 
I think this was first in something so strong, and they were both top ten yep. back to back. I don't think they ever charted again. Like I don't think they had a top forty song. No, uh, World Where You Live is sixty five on. Uh, that's, yeah, that's like the, just the highest went, one. And their music, to your point, if you listen to their late, it's still really good. Oh yeah, I don't like. I don't. I mean, and I know. I know. You know, uh, popular taste changes and shifts, but you know, I I put these guys up with any. I mean, I, I guess they're two hit wonders. Uh, definitely from the 80s. I think that's what happened is like, you know, we, we ran into this with Tears for Fears, a few other bands we've covered this time, In Excess too. Like, you know, you have this run and then in the late 80s, 89, 90, it's all about hair, you know, Guns and Roses and Poison rule the world. And then 91, everything shifts so hard when Nirvana and Pearl Jam. And then they just get lost in the dust. Like they just can't keep up. Like, because BCN or alternative stations are playing alternative right. music, as grunge rather. And then... The rock is kind of faded out, and then pop is playing a lot of ballads, Mariah Carey, things like that. So yeah. I think there was just no place for these guys. You would hear a crowded house on alternative stations in like the early two thousands, but it would take yeah, that long for them to get there. Cool again, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, but like I don't know was it was there was there creative differences within the band? Like I haven't even spent a lot of time on the band, really. I don't. No, um, they I, they did they were together for another ten years after this. So so they had you know it was. Neil knew some of the other guys from, I don't think that he played. Oh yeah. Uh, Neil had his brother, Tim um, in this band for a while and they were both. You brought in, him in later, right? Yeah. But I think it was yeah. second or third album. I think they did yeah. maybe five out, al- uh, four albums before they called it quits in the mid nineties. So they, pro- they did 84, I think is when they started. So something like 10 or 12 years is not a bad run. And then, uh, and then kind of put it away until uh, Neil Finn did some more albums um, in the two thousands. But I don't know if it was created. I think, well, split ends had a number one hit. They were huge in, you know, in the Pacific rim and in, even in Europe. So maybe they got tired. I, I don't know. It was, a, they had a kind of a long career between, or he had a long career between the two bands. Yeah. And then Matt and, and to uh, Chris's point, there was like, there were bands in the eighties. You guys know, like style council, like there's these bands that kind of popped in for like three or four years and then just, just gone. You never heard from them again. And like, I, like I love the song when it came out for different reasons than yeah. I love it now. It's one of those weird songs you love as an adult and as a kid. Yeah. But I didn't spend a lot of time in high school wondering, like, gee, I didn't go up to my friends in the hall and say, What happened? What happened to the crowded house? You know, it was not a conversation <laughs> to have a lot. You know, but I mean, but you know, I, if I heard that, I'm trying to think like I wouldn't be surprised if I did not hear that song for the entire decade of the nineteen nineties. Sure. Like where would right. I have where would I have heard like, to Chris where would I have heard it? Like the, you know, VH1 wasn't playing old songs. Like there was no, it wasn't on classic rock, which was sort of still new. Maybe an adult contemporary station. Yeah, I think so. I wasn't really listening. Like, you know, it's, it's actually a really good point. There was no landing spot for like, for that music, even for like, you know, cause like shout or everybody wants to rule the world was such a big hit that you would still hear it occasionally. Like in, but when that song kind of is that level below, it kind of does fade away. So Pineapple Head was in 94, I think. Four. And that's and that's right. I started high school, I think. In, you know, it was 92 to 96. So they were still, they still had some stuff in like the cool kids and band right, would like right, Crowded right. House. So that's how I right. would hear them. But it right. wasn't until college where I really went back to this album and, and you know, um, all my musical friends kind of salivated over it because it was the recording quality so good. And the, the cool songwriting kids so good. and band. The cool Fucking kids and band. Shut up. No, Kirk, I, I, you're... 
Chris, well, Chris, Chris was like, Chris was a stud in high school. Oh, oh, you oh huge. Oh, absolutely. Yes. He was, he was absolutely. bullying kids. I mean, he was, yeah. he was a bad He was 4'9 when he entered four, high nine school. 4'9 and just a scrawny. So <laughs> he was, was like uh, Jeremy Piven and Lucas. D- double threat. <laughs> no, I had friends. Unlike, unlike Matt, I'm, I'm personable. Um, <laughs> you, you love Springsteen. Such a dick. Okay. You love, you love Springsteen and like, you, you know, you love top 40, 80s, like, by like 95, 96, it's like I was in high school. I was loving all the alternative stuff. Were you just like a man without an island? Like, what were you doing? I was, I was literally like, you know, uh, 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 Nixon, that picture of Nixon in Normandy. And he just walked <laughs> down the beach with his hands at his back. I had, I, you know, because remember at that point, um, I know you don't want to dive too much into Bruce, but at that point, so we did Human Touch and Lucky Town with the other band that we called them. Um, and they did Tom Joe, which I loved in 95. But between 92, and the rising in uh, O2, like he didn't have a studio album, really. I mean, Tom Joe, he brought them back for Greatest Hits of the Reunion Tour. But for me, yeah, I was listening to like a lot of old Bruce stuff. I, I got really into Petty at that point because mm-hmm. oddly, Petty had a resurgence. Popular. Yeah. And had hits. Like he would actually still break in to the top four, which Bruce did, you know, with Streets, uh, Streets of Philadelphia and Secret Garden when they had with that stupid Jerry Maguire thing. But like, but yeah, I kind of was – that's actually ironically sort of when I got more refocused on like Dylan and Seeger and Petty and, you know, even Mellencamp, who I don't put in that category I like. Even he would have – he'd come in with a hit like every – like in the late 90s, which I didn't really love. But yeah, I was – and I, but I, I mean, I love Nirvana when they came out for sure. Um, I was never crazy about Pearl Jam, but, you know, I like them, but I don't, I don't love them. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned earlier though um, – uh, I know Vetter has, has said a lot that, that, you know, Crowded House, and I think there's stuff on YouTube where uh, Finn came out and sang with him at a couple of, like, acoustic shows. So I, I think that, you know, I could, and you, and you can see that. You can, you can see a little bit of that in, like, the Vetter acoustic stuff. But honestly, like, I was actually, it's, I thought you were going to ask me, because Springsteen does a lot of covers, you know, on concerts now. Mm. Um, actually, a Springsteen acoustic cover of, of this, I think, would actually be pretty cool, especially with his older voice. I think it'd be interesting to hear. So it's, it's a lot of lyrics, but I wonder if he could pull it off. Might be able to. It's a hard one. Petty was so learning to fly and and uh, won't back down. Was that night like early nineties well, too? I won't back down. Was um, Full Moon Fever? Oh okay, yeah, I think that was eighty nine. But no, that was at, but um, like uh, Last Dance. Yeah, mid nineties. Like yeah, yeah. Where in the greatest hits, you know how it was back then was you would have a greatest hits album or CD. <laughs> yes, and the deal was you know Seegers was huge, Bruce's was huge, Petty's was huge. The way they would entice you, guys like me who had everything, is they would put three new songs on there. And so, like, that was one of Petty's, you know, Bruce had Secret Garden on there and, like, see, uh, Seeger had a couple. Like, that was the way they had to package them because they wouldn't really sell any other way, you that, know? So that would have been the norm. I mean, I know Madonna. We, we ran into a Madonna yeah. song once in the show, and it was part of, I think it was, like, the Immaculate Collection. Yeah, what the hell she called her greatest right, hits. But right. it was also the same. And it hit number one. That was a bullfighting one, right? It was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't yeah, it doesn't she's not the one, like, you know, you talk about people, like, she you know, obviously she got older, but through the nineties, through the early two thousands, I think you guys talked about share. I didn't hear it, but same thing. Like they would, so there are certain people though, they would still have hits in their forties and fifties. And I don't really, seems crazy to me, but like Madonna was having top 10 hits in the two thousands. I think. Well, we got like, Starship. Yeah. Grace Slick will be Grace, tomorrow. Tomorrow on the Patreon show. We were, yeah, we have to talk about Grace Slick and how like she had this incredible, you know, 20 year run. That, right. um, you know, how do you, to stay relevant that long is really rare and really impressive. I mean, it's longer than that, right? Yeah, because she had she was 47 years old when she hit when she had her, her number one with uh, now we built the city. What do we do? Um, nothing gonna stop us yeah, now, exactly. Yeah, that one, stop us Ooh, a rough stage, <laughs> not, not, not a great state, but 
but yeah, there was sort of that, you know, that thing in these guys who I, you know, uh, Carl House, who I think were super talented, you know, yeah, we're kind of, we're, we're sort of searching, but I mean, I think it's, it's a perfect little eighties song. Like of the songs you guys have done from that decade lately, I would put it, like I'd put it above tears for fears myself. I just like, if I, you know, maybe it's also a product of not hearing as much. Maybe it's still kind of a nice, when you hear it, you're like, Oh shit, you don't hear that much yeah. kind of thing when it pops in. So you even hear it. Like I heard a couple of weeks ago, at the grocery store. I mean, it has that sort of life now. You're like, Oh, you, you feel you, you, you want to hear, it. you know, like oh, I've heard this 10 million times. Yeah. Now Neil's on tour with, uh, with Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac. And he sings it. Yeah. He sings the, he sings it lead with, uh, with Fleetwood Mac, which I think has, I think they have Mike Campbell now as uh, their guitarist, the uh, the petty guitarist. I think is with with Fleetwood Mac now. Could be. That's pretty. Yeah, I'd go see that's that. right. If that was like near, oh, I would see it. I would go see that. Lindsey Buckingham's oh, sure. tough though. He's got a. He has a. Lindsey's got a like a high good voice. That's that's tough. But I would, yeah, I would, I would check it out. That's that'd be good. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, on Crowded House or this song? No, no, I, no, I, I just, no, I like, I, I, I was glad when you picked this one, we had some other ones we were looking at, like, I, you know how much I love Seeger, but like, yeah. I didn't want to bang on like a bad, like Shakedown is not Bob Seeger's greatest. That would have been an interesting one to talk about though. Slick, not really written by him. He had like a yeah. bullshit co-write credit. What's his face? Uh, uh, Harold, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, Fallmeyer. Um, is that his name? Wrote it and like, it just is not, it's, it's very mass produced and you know, it's not what I think of when I think of Seeger. So I'm glad you picked this one. It was a good one. Cool. Uh, do you, what, what were you doing around this time? Oh my God. So I was 12 heading into 13. This is what? March of 87. Yeah. Yep. March of 87. I would have been in sixth grade. Um, Hagler, I think was just about to fight Sugar Ray Leonard, um, which I think was in April, maybe. I don't know. And, and I was so into the 87 Celtics at that point um, going for their repeat title at the 86 teams, the best team of all time. Uh, and I still, uh, I said this on my show the other day, I, I want to hear more from these people who tell me that Larry Bird couldn't play in the NBA today, you know, while they were losing by 70 points to France in basketball. <laughs> but, uh, but my life at that point was Springsteen, Larry Bird, uh, and, and, you know, and Marvin Hagler, who I think people, I'm sure a lot of people listening to our age, um, you know, from Massachusetts understand that Hagler, who just died a few months ago, at that point was as important a Massachusetts athletic figure nearly so as Bird or Ray Bork. Uh, or Doug Flutie, or any of those people. That Hagler-Leonard fight was soul-crushing to uh, to people in Massachusetts. My dad took me. We saw the Worcester Centrum uh, uh, on uh, what's what was it called back then? Not Spectre, not pay-per-view, but you know, a closed circuit. Yeah, television. We we went there in the place when they gave the decision to Leonard went apeshit. I thought we were, I thought we weren't, weren't going to get out of there alive. But there was a lot of like Kirkman and every week, Casey Kasem top 40. Every week I had my notebook. I wrote it down. I got the billboard every week. I would look at all the, I have like in my, in my room down here, I have like nine billboards from 1984. <laughs> I look at them all the time. I was obsessed with them. I was obsessed with charts. Um, you know, I loved basketball. I was just, you know, I was a, I was a happy go lucky kid who knew, you know, who knew uh, 87, you know, six years later, I'd be trying to, you know, hang myself in the closet in that same room. Uh, but at the, but at the time, but you know why, Chris, I did that was because there was no spot for crowded house and music at that point. Well, yeah, and, you, were, you were a man without an island. I, you know, and I Bruce was, was, that was post band and he didn't have an album that year in 93. And I thought, well, Bird had retired. I'm like, you know, what's the, what, what are we, Hagler was gone. What are we doing here? There's what's nothing the left. Yeah. Did you? There's nothing left. And now I can live and I can listen to Carano 
uh, pretend to be interested in what Jerry's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fate worse than death. Sorry. That's all right. You put That's me right. there, by the way. Still, are you going to be in, uh, in uh, Saka or not? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll both be there. Yeah. Chris, oh, Chris going to be there too? Oh, yeah, of course. I can't wait. On, on my show last week, I said I'm going to pay Chris. I don't know if you heard this or not, man. Oh, I heard it. Yeah. Yeah, I heard you, you talking about I, being buddies. I, I, you know what? I know you probably don't want me back a third time. Oh, no. We'll get course, you back. I'd be willing to come back and do the toy with you guys because I think that's <laughs> that would be unbelievable. Yeah, our last show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that it's amazing that happened even then. Forget now. That got to run on cable for a while. I too. saw it like fifty times. It was on Comedy Central was, in like the nineties, like quite a bit. HBO is a kid. Yes. Yeah. All time. Oh, all the, all time. the time. That and oh. Superman three were on HBO like like that year, whatever eighty four. You know, a couple years all after it comes time. out, all the time. Right. And that's another example we can start where we start is like, that's another example. Hackman, like Hackman was in Superman for the quest for peace. Yes. He was like smart enough to avoid three, (laughs) but four, he took the paycheck. And I do think, again, I don't want to spend 20, you guys got to go to bed. No, whatever, you know, as long as you want to go. But like the other thing about Hackman is like Hackman to me was a hilariously great Lex Luthor. Like he was, he and, and Ned Beatty were awesome together in those movies. Like uh, when Ned Beatty died, that was the first thing I thought of was, was, uh, Hackman and those two together, you know, Odisberg and all that. And they were just, they were great together. It was hysterical. And, and, you know, Matt, Matt has a horrible take on Superman. It's really dumb. That's a B plus. You didn't say you said B minus. It's a B minus. It's my favorite superhero movie by far. I agree with you hundred percent there. I said the same exact thing. Uh, the stuff with Ned Beatty and Gene Hackman is so funny and light. And you think about Gene Hackman, like he can do that where he's the comic of the movie. Young Frankenstein too. Right. And then he can do something like conversation where he's the heavy and then, you know, or, or you know, then he's unforgiven where he's this really complex character where you, you like, he's a villain that also has a perspective you completely understand. And then he does something, you know, and then he can do Hoosiers or Royal Tenenbaums where he's like, he, few actors had so much range they could pull off effectively comedy, thriller, you know, all, think of all the things yeah. you could put him in anything and it works. His versatility, you mentioned Duvall. I think Hackman's versatility is, is the best maybe we've ever seen. I think it's better than Duvall's. I agree. And I think they're both blessed from coming from a time where if you look at all the leading men, uh, you know, Pacino, Hoffman, Hackman, Duvall, you know, obviously Redford was great looking and so was Newman. And, you know, but these were not De Niro and Pacino are not conventionally great looking guys. No. Like the guys today are cookie cut. Like, you know, I, like who's playing Gene Hackman roles today? Who's Gene Hackman today? They're, you know, I, I don't want to be an old man, but like, who, if they did Hoosiers today, I mean, could George Clooney play Norman Dale? Maybe. But, I mean, he's also, like, a, a tremendously good-looking guy strolling into Hickory, Indiana, which would seem... Like, <laughs> Not I, a little I, out I, of place, yeah. Yeah, but maybe, if he... Like, maybe Sam Rockwell? Woody Harrelson, maybe? Like, you know, I don't, I don't know... I almost feel like Woody Harrelson could play Norman Dale and Rockwell could play uh, uh, Shooter, maybe. Shooter. I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, you know, those guys, to me, I always wonder about that. Like, who's going to be... The guys now in their twenties and thirties, like is Chris Pine going to be playing uh, Little Bill in an Unforgiven kind of movie in his fifties and sixties? No way! I, I don't think so. I think if you flip it though and look at it from an even older perspective, John Cazale would never have had a career in the fifties and sixties. Too no, ugly, you know. Oh, and true, yeah. uh, you know, like you mentioned, De Niro, Pacino. These guys would not have been leads, maybe supporting actors, maybe in that time, that studio run system. And right now with Marvel, we're in the studio run system that is making it. So you're right. You get the best looking people and you know, the people that you can put on movie posters, but 
and not necessarily the best actors. And I think we're in this weird, things will shift again, I think. But no, I mean, like someone like Gene Hackman had to come from that new Hollywood in the 70s because he wouldn't have come out of anywhere else. Yeah, I think a guy like Michael Shannon would probably have had a bigger career in the yeah. 70s yes. than he would have now. Like he's now just like, oh, he's quirky. Like he's the new Christopher Walken where it's kind of like, well, no, he's actually a good, interesting actor. But, you know, it, it, but, you know, like I think the best actor, working actor right now probably is probably DiCaprio. Yeah. Who is good looking, but is allowed himself to be ugly at times, too. Like he could play really ugly, which I think he still has that. He's almost a combination. He has that streak. He has that Maverick streak, which I think he learned probably from De Niro and those guys where I don't even know any other movie star now who could play those roles. I, I it's kind of, but also those movies aren't being made like Hoosiers wouldn't be made today. It'd be a, it would be a Disney like kids way softened movie. Like, you know, it would just be, would, wouldn't happen. Just they wouldn't made happen. a movie similar to this that didn't work. And well, I think it worked from a film perspective, it didn't make any money. It was like one of the last movies before the pandemic. It's the way back with Ben Affleck, right? Which is similar yeah. in a way to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I liked it a lot. I thought yeah. Affleck was tremendous, um, but it didn't connect, and the studio was pissed about it because you know they don't want to make mid level dramas anymore. They want to make either stuff you can throw on Netflix for three million dollars, or they want to make Marvel movies or whatever, Fast and the Furious, or all the shit Matt likes, is stupid shit. But they don't want to have uh, like the stuff we grew in the '90s, the late '90s, mid '90s, or even something like Hoosiers. That mid level movie that doesn't work for them, they they'll run away from it. Right. I mean, to me, like you know, the like the perfect example is I think the best Boston movie ever made, and you guys did a few weeks ago, is The Verdict. Yeah. And like, no shot. Maybe be a Netflix series today. Maybe. Like maybe be a six episode, but like it, impossible. And, you know, Clooney could probably play that role, but it's not going to happen. Like those movies are dead and it sucks. For, it sucks for somebody like me who doesn't care about, you know, I, I don't care about Black Widow. I just don't care. And I, and I appreciate the people do and there should be a spot for that. There you go, man. Uh, I, yeah. And but I also like to see, you know, that $30 million movie that, you know, would come out in, you know, the 80s and 90s that is, is dead. And Hoosiers, I think, is actually – a pretty good example. I'm sure. I don't know what the budget was for it in, in the '80s, but it must have cost nothing. I think it was under 10 million. I think it was like eight million. Of what I saw. I mean, I don't know how accurate that is. Sometimes when it's so far back, it's tough to get a good read. But it was, let's say eight between eight and ten. You know, they sh- did shoot it in locations, didn't have to build any sets, and then beyond right. the three leads, everyone else was an either no name or like some local. So, right. I think True. they were able to do it in the cheap. Yeah. Uh, headlines, Matt. Yes. So on April 3rd, Dennis Eckersley got traded from the Cubs to the A's. Ooh. Uh, yes. Um, for three players or three minor leaguers. I don't know these players. You guys might know them more than me because you get the facts. Do you know um, David Wilder, Brian uh, Gwynn and Mark Lynette? Uh, Any of them make it? I don't know if they did. I don't know if Gwynn did. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Great trade. You know, there's a lot of um, Kirk knows this, but there was a lot of stuff with Eckersley, his you know alcoholism. Yeah, the Cubs really know what to do with him. He sent him to the A's. Kirk, did, were you like? Did you ever play little league? Like, I did. did yeah, I was a great, good, good field, no hit. But that was my other thing in my life. I should mention that I was obsessed with sports. Like obsessed. Yeah, I read every Bill James ad. I read. I had every stat memorized in my head. Um, yeah, I mean that's one of the great trades in like baseball history. Oh Eckersley. yeah. Yeah, Eckersley's but, numbers as a reliever, when you look at them now, are mind roasting. Ridiculous. With, with like that's like the Kirk Gibson home run is the most. When you look at the numbers, the most ridiculous thing maybe that ever happened to baseball. Yeah. He, had, he had a, one year he had ERA under one. Yeah, like it was like point yeah. five or something. It was crazy. And he, he walked and he didn't throw hard and he walked nobody. Yeah, and he like literally nobody and he got you know he was probably the most effective closer for a year or two stretch. Obviously, he's not Rivera, but for a year or two stretch 
I think he won the MVP, right? He did. Yeah. Yeah. He got the Cy Young and MVP. He was, was top 10 in the Cy Young for like six or seven years. It was 92, right? right? It was that 91, year? I thought. You 90, could be right. 90, I mean, it was 91. That was the year the A's didn't make the playoffs. They made it in 92 because there's that one year they had that layoff. In 92, they lost to the Blue Jays in the LCS. Yeah. So I think it was 92 because that team could've was been. not as good. It was like on the lot. Like Dave Stewart, I don't think won 20 that year. It was like on the rocks. But you're right with the alcohol, alcoholism and his performance was really suffering as a starter. So he goes to the A's, becomes a reliever, and then you know, just dominates. People know that. Well, I was, not everybody listens. All right. They might be art music people. <laughs> Your band friends. He's losers. My band friends. Uh, second thing is, um, the premiere of married with children was this oh. week. Um, in this year, uh, had an 11 year run, 259 episodes. Of course, Ed O'Neill, Katie, was um, that the beginning Sengel. of Fox then? No, yeah, it was right, right after Pretty the beginning March. of Fox. Yeah. It was kind of their flagship and they had, right. They had like no stations across the country. So oh, we them, got them. Like, Tracy Ullman. Yeah. So it was like a really weird mixed bag. It was weird until they got, and they didn't do well until they got football. I think in like right. 94. Well, I remember, yeah. I remember reading the late show, the, um, yeah. uh, Bill Carter book when yes. Letterman was make, going around you know, Fox made a big pitch. And I think at the time, the the reason why they didn't even think about it, I think Fox was available. Even then, that was like 91, 92. It's only available like 58% of the houses in the yeah. country. You know, even at that point, you know, it, it was it took them forever. I mean, now you're right. I think once they, they overspent for football and brought Summerall and Madden, then it was like, oh, these guys are, are for real. Yeah. Well, that's what sunk Chevy too. So Chevy did the yep, late night show right. on Fox a year later. Right. Uh, but then they had more affiliates because of football. But then the uh, the networks, the, the affiliates didn't want to give up the 11 o'clock news because they're like, oh, that, we're going to make more money having news yeah, or having yeah, yeah. or having even like a sitcom at 11 than we're going to having Chevy. And I think Chevy, what do you say? It's 26, 29 episodes, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was wild. It was it completely bond. That actually happened with Leno at, at 10 o'clock. But that was ultimately sunk. It wasn't the ratings. It was all led by the guy in Boston who were like, we're just going to run the news. Like, it does better ratings, and we're bringing in more money. Like, why is this stupid thing on? You know, you do forget people still, even now, like, more people watch the evening news than watch, like, late-night shows. The evening news still gets, like, 12, 13 million viewers in total every night, which is mind-blowing to me. It's the only place to get it, though. I mean, I'm obviously online, I understand, but if you're just looking for just a quick half hour, 20 minutes to watch the weather and to watch kind of, like, local stuff that's happening in and around your area... Like I'll, oh, I'll talking, throw it no, on. I'm, sorry, I'm talking about like like the like the network evening news is get like four or five million. Well, like still. the six thirty one, you mean like like, you know, like the Lester Holt? And, yeah. Uh, oh Jesus, I can't imagine watching that. That's bizarre to crazy me. Crazy to me. I I couldn't believe I read that a couple of weeks ago that, that that happens. But yeah, my grandparents. I think people that old that age, like you know, people say eighty years or older now. They would like to sit there and watch by that. Like, yeah. Oh, we have to finish dinner before the 630 evening news. Yeah. My grandparents. I mean, even my parents were like that too. We would watch yeah, the, we'd goodness. watch the news. Yeah. 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 Gone. Um, I think that's it for, uh, for me with the uh, headlines. We're back next week. We are going to, uh, we, we're seeing, um, oh my God. I know the basic instinct is the Patreon movie. Oh, Wayne's world. That's right. I think it's like 92. Uh, we're going to be in. So, um, catch that. Yes. That's good. <laughs> I guess. No, it's good. We're going to, yes, we want people to listen, man. Oh, you guys should listen. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kirk. Uh, Anytime, thanks, Kirk. Guys. Appreciate awesome it. Awesome as always. All right, boys. Thanks. See ya.